I would like to start this podcast by saying that I think piano lessons are fantastic. There are absolutely incredible opportunities and so many benefits to studying the piano. But I also feel that piano lessons are not in any way a prerequisite for studying voice. We don't need the keyboard to teach rhythm or pitch or legato, staccato or tempo or music reading. Uh, we can use the piano to assist us in teaching foundational music skills. But we can do so much more by using our voices and allowing our students to sing unaccompanied. Hi, friends and colleagues. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music, and today's podcast, episode 103, is all about fun and productive singing activities that are performed unaccompanied. And today, I'm asking you to step away from the piano. Thank you so much for tuning into the Full Voice Podcast. I am so glad you are here. Uh, Whether you are driving or walking or running or commuting or cleaning your house, that's how I like to listen to podcasts. I know you will take away some fantastic ideas and resources for your studio. I've actually got lots of resources to recommend in this episode. Uh, But before I dive in, today's episode is brought to you by the newly updated 2020-21 Private Music Teacher Planner and Agenda. If you are looking for a cleanly designed agenda planner for your teaching studio, it is 200 pages. It has amazing organizational pages, lots of ways that you can plan an incredible year of teaching. You can check out the planner on our website and it is available worldwide on Amazon. Now, let's dive into our topic. Now, I I want to start by acknowledging my colleagues who are piano teachers or piano and voice teachers or the collaborative pianists who work extensively with the vocalists out there. You are doing amazing, wonderful things in your teaching studios. I honor you. I see you. I have so many wonderful friends that I am in awe of their ability. One of my best friends is an amazing accompanist. And I just, I'm so... I'm so grateful that my students get to work with Anne and um, I just, I just, I'm just so lucky. Uh, but today uh, I, I want people to know that I'm not comparing and despairing and I'm not pitting one camp against another because as we know, we are all allies in music education. We are all on the same team. What I'm talking about today is honoring the unique challenges of the human voice. And I'm sharing fun, simple strategies that can help students of all ages to discover and make peace with their voice. So I do, I do very much so, want to challenge you to check in with how much the teacher, that's you, is relying on the piano rather than your voice and or body for demonstrating musical concepts and perhaps making corrections with your students. 
I think it is so helpful uh, that we all check in with how much we are using an instrument that has no resemblance to the human voice whatsoever. <laughs> now, I want to shout out to um, a few wonderful people, uh, uh, previous podcast guests, actually. The first one is Brian Lee. Brian Lee's a, a fantastic voice teacher, and he is the author of Sane Singing. And Sane Singing is a a wonderful book. It's a wonderful book for students looking to learn about singing and maybe struggling with learning to sing. Um, and it's an amazing check-in for voice teachers. Um, and he talks in his book about, should we be comparing the voice to an instrument? And he's he actually recommends that we might want to rethink calling the voice, the, the vocal instrument, because there is nothing like the human voice. We are, it's not made of wood or steel or strings. It is such a unique instrument. And um, I think that's, I think that is a, a really good thing to reflect on. Uh, when we are uh, working with our students, are we honoring their instrument See, I called it an instrument. Are we honoring the voice and allowing our students to appreciate its uniqueness? Now, the other book that I would like to recommend, and, and Justin Peterson, who was also a podcast guest a little while ago, brought this book to my attention a few years ago, and it's called The Human Nature of Singing. It's by Peter T. Harrison. Wonderful book. Again, addressing the uniqueness and the incredible challenges that are present when working with the singer. Um, now, I would also like, <laughs> I would also like to share a concern. Maybe it's, mm, maybe it's a frustration. Actually, no, it's a pet peeve. So I do not enjoy reading forum threads when somebody is asking about voice lessons for young students or is asking for help with a young student. So maybe the student is struggling with pitch or something about breathing. And the recommendations that are given is that they should be having piano lessons instead. I, I get a little ragey. My eye starts to twitch and I want to like lift up my desk and flip it over. Um, when we, we need to be cautious about using words, words like should or it would be best or it is recommended or even I insist that. Of course, as a teacher, you can choose, <laughs> you can choose who you want to teach and how you want to teach them. But when it comes to learning the piano first, like if the interest in the means are available, sure, of course. But a child wanting to sing, being forced to study an instrument that they are not interested in is not a healthy course of action. That's kind of like telling my, my baseball-obsessed kiddo who is struggling a little bit right now with the batting cage work that he's been doing, that he should just go and play soccer. That's neither kind nor helpful. And I would be rather disappointed as a parent if I heard somebody tell him that. I would become psycho mom. Um, anyhow, but speaking of pitch issues, okay, <laughs> I was thinking about this. My husband brought this up. Um, do you know who also struggles with pitch when they first learn? 
like their instrument, uh, beginner violin students, beginner guitar students, many of my students who are now uh, learning, some of them are, are teaching themselves, but they're, they're learning to play the ukulele. And they are not always accurate on where they put their fingers on the fretboard. So do we discourage them and tell them that they should have piano lessons? Of course not. So this is a great check-in and this is a great opportunity for the voice teacher, whether you are what I like to call piano dominant or not. This is a fantastic opportunity. I love that the conversation is changing. Um, This is no longer the default. It still pops up from time to time that children should have this before they do this. But I love that I have many Kadai and ORF trained music teachers in our Facebook forum, Voice Teachers for Young Singers. Uh, these music educators have incredible insight uh, about using the voice as the primary instrument, and they have amazing strategies to share. And I love that we are moving away from the default of piano first. I love that that is changing. Now, here's our amazing opportunity. Okay, here's a great teacher check-in. How much are you relying on the piano to teach voice? Do you play every single note of every single exercise that a student sings? Uh, Are you sitting at the piano bench for the entire voice lesson? Now, full disclosure, I struggle with this too. I, there are days where I I recognize that I am not modeling singing as much as I could. Now I'm not talking about like, no, I need to vocal, I need a vocal rest, but in, in regular lessons, I recognize when I am doing more piano playing than actual singing. And I have had some brilliant aha moments in my teaching studio where I recognized that I was hiding behind the piano and that I wasn't maybe serving my students to the best of my ability. So I wasn't teaching to their needs. And I want to share a couple of experiences where the I had those aha moments. So the first one is about, oh gosh, a long time ago. Um, many, many, many moons ago. Uh, I was teaching in the summer And it was a hot, sticky, humid Ontario summer. And the piano in my teaching studio had a a sticky key. Uh, And it was an important key. It was like D or E above middle C. Now, it it was totally random. But every once in a while, it just wouldn't sound. And uh, now what I noticed (laughs) and what was really frustrating was if I was playing an exercise or the melody of the song um, and if the key didn't function, if the key didn't sound, my student also did not make the sound. They would not sing that note. Whoa. Like in the millisecond that that note didn't play, my students stopped their voices from singing. And that that was that was incredible to me because they had no idea when the piano would or would not play. Um, but they were really accurate in not singing the pitch when it wasn't there for them. So what did that tell me? Well, one, they're not listening to their voices. Not a bit. They were not comfortable singing without that piano note 
being played. And they were obviously not singing about, they weren't really focusing on like the story uh, or the expression or any of the musical things. They weren't thinking about breath energy or any of the corrections I was giving them. They were, their active listening was 100% focused on the support given to them by the piano. And I want to just just mention, again, a little aside, um, this experience is not limited and was not at the time limited to my young singers. The adults were doing this too. So this wasn't just a beginner young singer issue. And, and so many, so many of my experienced adult students also struggle with singing unaccompanied. Many of my avocational singers, um, they, and they have decades, decades of vocal experience, much of it choral, um, but they've never sung unaccompanied. <laughs> they don't enjoy it one bit. I have had adults quit after lessons that included simple, simple exercises without the piano. It was just too much for them. It made them so uncomfortable. And I know that you see this in your teaching studio. I know you have those students who are so reluctant to sing unless you sing with them or you are playing with them. And I've got I've got wonderful strategies today on the podcast and inspiration to help you give them the opportunities to build independent singing skills and their confidence. It doesn't happen overnight. It does not happen. And, and everyone progresses differently, differently. But I think there, I think there are really beginner exploration things that we've, we've missed. And even some of my adults, I have to go back to beginner exercises and encourage them and allow them to explore. And now for the My Music Staff Minute. Hey everyone, Erin here to chat with you about lesson notes. Everyone is busy these days, including you, your clients, and your students. But taking the time to write great feedback for your students can really pay off. Families will appreciate your dedication and professionalism, and your students' progress can be more easily measured. Parents will feel like they're in the loop about their child's lessons and be able to better support their practice at home. Feedback after each lesson helps your clients to see the value in their music education by showing the progression of their skills over time. So what makes good feedback? Be specific. Your notes to students and parents should end with clear action points. What would you like them to do differently? What should they do next to improve? The more detailed and specific your action points are, the more helpful they'll be to the student and the parent. Praise effort instead of talent or natural ability. This reinforces that their hard work pays off and motivates them to continue practicing. When wording negative feedback, try to frame it in an encouraging way. Let's practice this measure a few times for rhythm, or something similar to that can be way more encouraging than just a flat, this measure was wrong. Great feedback helps your students improve and keeps them coming back to your studio. My Music Staff allows you to record lesson notes in-app and email it to students and parents. They'll also have access to their notes 24-7 in the student portal. Start your 30-day free trial today at mymusicstaff.com and stay tuned for next week's tips and tricks on the My Music Staff Minute, exclusively on the Full Voice Podcast. Now, um, I wanted to, the other, the other really good takeaway, and this happened recently, that I wanted to share with everyone, 
Um, this past summer, I was so fortunate. I was able to do my level one Kadai training. Now, this has been on my bucket list for like over a decade. Um, I, uh, when we were researching the full voice books, I read a lot of information about Kadai and his methods. And um, it was a big inspiration in putting the books together. But I had not done the formal training. Now, I want to send a huge hug out to my dear friend, Kristen Coffey Rondo. Uh, because she uh, was a wonderful guest on our podcast. She shared her success story on our podcast about her ORF-inspired studio and how she was really inspired by that music education. And she was such an inspiration for me that I worked very hard to find the time and the and to make the financial commitment to go to do my training. And my only regret is that I didn't do it sooner. It was such an incredible opportunity. Um, I have so many new teaching strategies. I have such an appreciation and admiration for those of you that are teaching in the classroom, oh my goodness, I see you, I celebrate you. I have new and fantastic friends and colleagues. So shout out to Megan in Newfoundland, um, Julie in Nunavut, and Jason. Jason taught me the Pizza Hut song at the Kadai training. And my students love the Pizza Hut song. And you can go actually go to my Instagram. There's a video of me doing the Pizza Hut song with my students. Now, uh, I'm going to I'm going to be very general here. But uh, Kadai, uh, the the concepts of Kadai is singing first. It is exploring music with the voice and singing games. Um, Kadai people are totally my people. Uh, to, um, to understand and discover the musical foundations with the voice first. And you know what? It was a challenging course. Even as a voice major, even as a professional vocalist, yeah, I was right out of my comfort zone. Um, we were never allowed to touch the piano in our classes. It was tuning forks and vocalization all the way. And oh my gosh, I kept staring at the piano in the corner of the room going, you know, if we could just, if we could just listen to the chord, if, if I could just touch one of the notes on the piano, I'd feel so much better. Um, and you know, I, I was nervous singing in front of my colleagues. So um, if you're if you're interested in working with young singers, especially if you're really getting into the small group classes, the vocal classes, I cannot recommend the Kadai level trainings enough. Check out a workshop. Um, I'm going to put links and I've got lots of links on the podcast page uh, if you're interested in more information. Now, I have been enjoying a new teaching resource. Uh, this is a fantastic series. It's by Susan Brumfield, and it's called First We Sing. It's published by Hal Leonard. Um, there's a, a teacher's guide. There are different levels. Now, it is a Kadai-inspired resource for classroom teachers, but oh my goodness, so many great opportunities for private teachers, uh, especially those of you doing small group classes. Um, my favorite of the series right now is the 100 Little Songs and Rhymes. So many games, circle games, partner games, call and answer, lots of wonderful 
little songs in there and it's it's a it's easy to find them and to incorporate them into your lesson planning now um <clears throat> i wanted to just go back for a second um one of my biggest takeaways from my kadai levels training uh was how i felt singing unaccompanied all the time i did not feel good about it <laughs> I kept staring in the corner where the piano was wishing I could just play the chord progression a few times and then and then I would be able to sing that part. Um, it was very challenging and um, I wanted to shout out to my classmates, many of them wonderful, accomplished instrumentalists uh, who had to leave, abandon their instruments and then sing for two weeks. I see you you brave, awesome humans. And I know that that's often a deterrent for a lot of educators to take this course because of the amount of singing that is required. Don't be afraid. You will be a better person at the other end of it. And I, I also wanted to, to remind everyone like this, this is how vulnerable our students feel. I mean, if not more so. We're, we're accomplished musicians, but our students feel so on the spot when we're asking them to do things with their voices. And uh, how convenient, how easy is it us, for us like to sit behind our piano having a nice tea or a Starbucks latte as our students, as our students, you know, have to figure things out and navigate their mysterious voices. And the other day, um, my one of my dearest families brought me a lovely lovely Starbucks latte and it was so lovely and I was sitting behind my piano and I was sipping my latte and my poor little student is uncomfortably trying to figure out this new exercise and I realized that she needed more support. So I stepped away from my piano and I joined her and we sat on the carpet and we did our hand signs and we sang together and the lesson turned around. The lesson was far more enjoyable. So for her and for me. So um, the piano can be a very cozy place to hide. But, uh, you know, when you step away from it, ew, amazing things can happen. Now, um, when I uh, when I go back to the, uh, the broken piano key story, <clears throat> that is, um, that is when I started to uh, use the tonic solfa wall. Um, and I started to use more solfege in my lessons because I wanted a system that allowed my students to sing without piano accompaniment. Now, um, in my studio, and, and I'm going to put pictures of this on the uh, podcast page, um, the tonic solfa wall is, um, it's, a, it's my premier learning station in my voice studio. I use solfege tonic solfa with students of all ages, including my adults. And I start this right from the beginning. Now, I set up the, the, the cards on the wall um, left to right. And in an ascending pattern, so the notes are going up, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, it's going up in an ascending pattern. And I do this so that this is setting students up for reading music 
on the staff. I find this very helpful. It's also uh, it's also helpful for understanding pitch, higher and lower pitches. So again, visual, visual, visual. Now, for those of you who may not have um, your tonic sofa wall or learning center, um, we have free tonic sofa wall cards in different sizes, depending on the size of your teaching studio on our free resources page. There is a direct link to the cards in the show notes and on the podcast page. And I would encourage you to laminate them. Oh my goodness. I love laminating things. I got a laminator this year and it is like It's like therapy, people. When the paper goes in and it's so slow, but it comes out on the other side and it's hard and it's shiny. I cannot tell you how much I enjoy laminating. Now, uh, yeah, it's my happy place. Um, I even did a Facebook Live. Uh, I did a Facebook Live where I laminated the pumpkin spice song freebie because it was such a hit with my my studio. Um, So... If you're looking for free cards that you could or that you may or may not laminate, they're on our free resources page. I also wanted to add that we updated the Tonic Solfa cards, uh, the, the design of the cards to match the colors of the boom whackers. And uh, that was a really great idea. It was a teacher um, that uh, reached out to us and said, you know, it'd be so much easier for me if the colors matched the degrees of the scale of the boom whackers. So we did that. So uh, if you are using boom whackers, and I mean, that's a whole other podcast. I've started using boom whackers in my class with my singers. And there's some amazing tools and and little games you can play. Um, So the new cards, the cards that are on our website do coincide for any of you using the boomwhackers. Um, now, oh my goodness, so many opportunities. Singing solfa, solfege exercises is far more challenging and engaging for the vocal student. First of all, they get to see the movement of the exercises. This is a visual. With the hand signs, it's kinesthetic. They're moving their bodies. And you can encourage the hand signs to help with pitch. Um, you can, uh, I find hand signs are excellent too. If you've got the little ones that really want to sing fast and they want to go really, really fast, this helps to slow them down. And this builds independent singing skills and confidence in a way that singing and playing with our students does not. They are going to start to make their own corrections in their pitch. Um, And again, for those of you who are working with the littles, um, don't get, don't get stressed out by pitch. That can take a little bit of time. You don't need it to be a quick fix. Take your time, take your time, take your time. But allow them to hear you sing and uh, use use the body and model where the pitches are. And again, tonic sofa is a great way to do that. Um, there are also flashcards. We have tonic sofa flashcards. They're part of the happy singing teacher box. Sometimes, depending on the energy level of the student, we will do vocal warm-ups using the mini flashcards on a desk. Now, 
I know what some of you are thinking. That's not how we would sing a song, and I get that. But sometimes it's nice just to sit down, and especially if you're a student that is very um, anxious or maybe a kid that's just, you know, a bit tired um, or fidgety or wiggly, it, letting them sit down and then use their hands to arrange the flashcards on the desk is a wonderful, wonderful exercise. I do a lot of, of warm-ups and vocal exploration sitting at the desk rather than beside the piano. Now, the other, the other exercise, the other non-piano accompanied exercise, of course, and I talk about these a lot, they're so effective. Vocal exploration exercises. Oh, so important. They're, and they're not just for littles. They're not just for beginner beginners. I will encourage my adult singers who are really struggling to make peace with their voice. I will encourage them to do vocal roller coasters. I might not be as silly as I am with the littles, but I that that's one of the vocalization things I ask them to do is just how high can you slide up and slide down. And because we're not referring it to a pitch, there's no there's no really cor- cor- um, corrections needed. So it's a great way just to just to get them singing, exploring. Um, now, vocal roller coasters talked about them a lot. For those of you who are new or may not know what they are, vocal roller coasters are gold. They have saved me on many occasions. They have allowed me to to really connect with even the the shyest student, the student that has so much anxiety. Vocal roller coasters are a huge icebreaker. Um, so a vocal roller coaster is very simple. Taking a whiteboard or even a piece of paper, you draw a curvy line like a track of a roller coaster. And then you encourage the singer to vocalize to that line, following the line. You can offer a vowel suggestion and, and you, and you demonstrate. So I've drawn my line. I know this is a podcast. You can't see it, but work with me here. So you'd, I've drawn this wavy line and I'm going to vocalize it. So I would go, and then I would come back down the roller coaster. Now your kiddos are going to smile. Some of them are going to giggle. They're going to get pretty excited because this is fun. This isn't scary. This is fun. I'm just being a roller coaster. I'm just following the line. Um, what's interesting, vocal roller coasters are also an incredible uh, assessment tool for you, the teacher. Because if you have a student who then tries to do the vocal roller coaster but wants to stay in their speaking range or keeps a very small interval of notes, that's important information for you. That is a student that may be uncomfortable singing high or singing low, and we get a sense of where they want to be. Now we can encourage them. We can challenge them. We can have fun with them. Remember, this is all play-based learning and exploratory. So we can encourage them. Geez, I wonder how high your roller coaster can go. Ah, I, you know what? I love roller coasters. You know what? I'm scared of roller coasters because they go so high like this. You can challenge them in many different ways. And then they start to realize the, that they have these abilities and that it's fun. Now, the other, um, the other uh, activity that I love 
again, in a uh, exploration category. Um, and again, we have a freebie for this. It is called Singing Spaceships, and it is lip and tongue trill exploration. Um, I'm direct link in the show notes to the um, uh, Singing Spaceship freebie. And it's similar. It, inc- it, it, it incorporates the concept of vocal roller coasters, except that you've got a spaceship or a UFO picture, and you're using a lip trill or a tongue trill to follow the 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 uh, the line or the the path of the spaceship. And again, fun exercise. Asking them to what sound do you think this UFO would make? This is a funny spaceship. What do you think it sounds like? Vocal exploration is so, so amazing. And to see and watch your students and how they're relating to their voice goes so far. And we can then pace lessons and offer the support that our students need. So those are two wonderful vocal exploration exercises that are done away from the piano. You can also look at um, uh, animal calls, meows, and 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 uh, hooting owls. You can look at sirening and glissando exercises. All of those fantastic opportunities to help your singers discover their voice and get accustomed to not having to have anyone help them with it. Now, the other the other activities that I love to do without the piano. So first of all, teaching um, teaching new music, uh, folk songs, or um, a new song that they're going to be learning. Uh, simple melodies, teaching them by rote, using the voice. Now, I there are lots of different ways to teach uh, a song to a child. And again, um, the Kadai teachers have a sequence, which I think is so helpful. Now, this is a big topic. So next week, I'm actually, I just decided just recently, next week, my the podcast will be about teaching songs by rote. And I'm going to talk about all the different ways we can approach it and all the different strategies, because it's so, it's so huge. If we teach our students how to, uh, if, we're, if we break down the sequence, our students will learn the songs faster, they will be more engaged, and they will have more success. But I'm just going to overview it for you today. So um, when teaching new songs, my default originally was I would just play the melody on the piano while singing along with the piano. And that is 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 a way it is effective that you can teach but um we can do a lot more and again we're trying to encourage independent skills so um when i am teaching like a folk song or uh, an activity song um i will teach it by rote and here's the challenge and this is a challenge that i have um make sure you start on kid friendly notes I tend to sing too low. My comfort, my vocal comfort zone is not a child's comfort zone. And uh, be be very aware of that. Um, I'm so guilty of this. I will start singing and then the kids will start singing and then I'll be like, oh, darn it. And I'll be like, hey, let's try it from this pitch. Um, So, but going back to that, it's full disclosure. It is far easier just to plunk the notes out on the piano and sing with them. 
Um, but I think it's helpful. Um, our students need to see us make mistakes, and they need to hear our voices cracking, and they need to, they need to hear the voice in order to model the voice. So um, when you are teaching um, a simple melody, often if I'm teaching a song, I like to start with the refrain. So I might, I might start by asking a question or getting them interested in the topic. Uh, and then, and then I'll go, well, you know, I know of this, I know this really cool song about whatever we're singing about. And then I will sing the refrain. I will sing the entire refrain. And then I will ask another question about it. So what did you think? What other, if we're, let's say we're singing about weather. Uh, what other types of weather do you like? Or do you like snow? And you engage the kids with questions. And then you break it down. And then I will sing a line. And then I will encourage them to sing with me. Then I'll put two lines together, see if they can sing it. If they are struggling with the melody or if they're making mistakes, we go back to one line. And depending on your student, it can it can take um, some, well, first of all, some students are so good at learning by rote. Some of our singers and our little ones are very good at call and answer. So teaching folk songs and simple melodies or even just the refrain of a song, any song, by wrote by ear without the piano is a great start and a great activity. And if you can do this with your young students, imagine how confident they're going to be when they get older. Um, now for my vocal classes, all songs are taught by rote. I do not introduce the music to them. I may have lyric sheets printed for them and we would start by reading the lyrics aloud and then I sing for them. So that way they have an idea of the text and the story and they are engaged. Now, like I said, next week podcast is going to be all about how to teach songs effectively by rote. And I hope that you will check in. Now, the other thing that I do is, uh, and I do this a lot in my teaching studio, again, with all ages, is I allow my students to sing traditional exercises without extensive piano assistance. So let me explain. Um, so uh, I used to play all the notes for my students. And um, so what I try to do is I will introduce the melody and I do use the tonic so far while if I'm introducing a new exercise so they understand, we will have a conversation about what it is. Is this a triad? Are we moving in steps? Are we moving in skips? Are we doing an arpeggio? What direction are we going in? So we've discussed the, the exercise. And then I will get them to sing it with the tonic so far wall. And then I will move to the piano. Because, of course, I want to move up and down the scale. I want to hear them sing that exercise in different parts of their voice. But then I start to, uh, I guess I would, I guess I'm weaning them. <laughs> I start to wean them off of the piano by giving them less, less support. So uh, what I might do, let's take a five-note scale. So I will ask them to sing the five-note scale pattern three times. The first time I will play the piano and the notes of the scale for them. The second time they go through, I will only give them the piano chord. And the third time they go through, I give them nothing. Now, 
What's interesting is you will see, you will see how this makes your students feel. You will see, you will hear the exercises get softer. As soon as the piano's not there or the chord's just playing, the vocals get a bit softer. And in some cases, you will see the color drain from their faces. <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, I certainly, I certainly uh, am very careful when I do these exercises, especially with transfer students or students that come from another teacher who are not used to having the piano taken away from them. This can cause them a lot of anxiety. So proceed with caution and empathy, please. Um, anyhow, so I like to take away their support. I like to just give them either a chord and then let them sing uh, like without accompaniment. And again, you will see your students make their own corrections. They will stop getting upset because they made a mistake. They will shake it off faster. What an important skill. We're always making mistakes. So we all have those students that as soon as they make the tiniest mistakes, they like sabotage themselves. Like, so difficult to help them. So allowing your students to sing your traditional exercises and taking away the piano as they build their confidence. So important. Now, Pumpkin Spice Song, our freebie last month, was a perfect example of an unaccompanied vocal exercise. They were to sing their parts all by themselves while you or another student sang the other part. And again, um, what I noticed is the first couple of times we did that, it was rather unnerving for some of my students, but by the end of the month, my students were singing very confidently and holding their parts. So now uh, moving into uh, number four, I don't even know what number this is. Did I even give them numbers? I don't think I did. Okay, moving into the next example. Singing repertoire unaccompanied. Oh, friends, this is audition preparation. Uh, many musical theater auditions, at least in the elementary to high school level, um, students are often, they often have to perform unaccompanied. Um, and this is a great thing to practice in the teaching studio. And yes, it makes them feel uncomfortable, but what a great way to get them ready and prepared for the nerves they're going to have when they're doing their uh, audition. And, um, oh gosh, one year, I think it was last year, I had some students that were preparing for a school audition and the kids swear and the parents swear that the kids were told that they could sing to a track. But when they went into audition, they weren't allowed to use the track. And oh my goodness, the, 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 trauma that they experienced. Um, it was it was rather upsetting because they were not prepared for that challenge. So whether they ask for tracks or not, I always encourage my students to sing their audition pieces, whether it's a 16 bar cut or a 32 bar cut, or, you know, whether it's the entire song all the way through is such a good exercise. And you know they know the song if they can sing it unaccompanied. But again, giving our students the opportunity to do that. I sometimes will use that as the warm-up. I'll say, what song, you know, what song would you like to sing? Just to like the bridge or the chorus or the verse without any accompaniment. I'll give them their starting note. And again, it makes them feel uncomfortable at first, but I have some singers that are doing a wonderful job and have really discovered 
uh, that they can do it. And it's so nice to see their progress. So there are my top unaccompanied step away from the piano. Allow your students to hear your voice and discover their voice activities. Please check out our podcast page and the show notes for all the resources mentioned in this podcast. And I I do hope that these ideas uh, give you permission and some inspiration and maybe the courage um, to challenge your singers in new and exciting ways. And I appreciate that by modeling independent, unaccompanied singing is putting you on the hot seat. I get that. Um, This is probably going to take some of you right out of your comfort zone. That is okay. How can we ask our students to do these new and challenging things if we're not willing to do them ourselves? So I am, I am hopefully uh, this week you can try some of these activities um, and just see how you can get your students into uh, leveling up and, and more independent singing. Now, Don't forget to check out the Private Music Teacher Planner and Agenda. It is a wonderful gift for yourself or a friend, for the busy music teacher. And uh, it has 200 pages of organizational um, charts and forms, a great way to plan uh, new activities and repertoire ideas. And we've improved it this year. We've added a waiting list and a lesson inquiry page. So helpful. As always, I am wishing you inspired teaching and happy singing. Made by Canoe Music. CanoeMusic.ca And I want to send a big, big hug out to Kristen Kofta... Sean, edit that out. <laughs>